This episode was recorded on September 13th, 2020. Our topic for today, Africa technology, traditional industries. So this is uh, this episode will be subtitled the one where Johnny carried the whole show, did all the research, uh, what's it called, led all the discussions because uh, Michael was moving this entire week. So Michael, what is our news of the week? Our news of the week was uh, we're going with the Apple story first. Yeah, pretty much. That's the main one. I mean, it's a continuation. Uh, we keep talking yes. about it. Uh, Apple is fighting a war on many fronts. And I don't know how to read this one, but I'll first talk about it and then I want your opinion on how to kind of interpret this one. So Apple released their new App Store guidelines. uh, And specifically in these guidelines around gaming, they now appear to provide a path for streaming video game creators such as iCloud, Stadia, that are in themselves app or game markets themselves to properly exist on Apple and be accepted on the Apple store without necessarily all the loop, well, not without all the loopholes, but without as many restrictions as they once did. So for example, now, if you had purchased a game on Stadia or some other type of platform, you're now able to go and get play that game on your iPhone even despite the fact you didn't buy it in the app store. So Johnny, do you think that, uh, what's it called? Do you think this is capitulation? Do you think this is, what, how, do you, how do you read this story? Yeah, I think this is uh, definitely Apple's way of meeting you know, the, the app developers and those that have been uh, fighting with them recently from Basecamp's Hey to you know, the the game streaming apps like Microsoft and uh, Google Stadia. This is Apple's way of meeting them halfway in Apple's way. In Apple's and, way. Uh, of not Apple's. making a big deal about it and just like releasing it in their notes. Yes. Because the reason I, I say Apple's way is because already um, uh, Microsoft has taken issue with it. So you, you mentioned the, the, the details around this is this. So the idea what that I understand that like Google and Microsoft aspire to do is have one app that serves as the account, your account that you log into, and then from there you can stream whatever apps you want, right? So essentially they're mini store apps, storefronts, right? Um, But but, uh, Apple's rule is pretty interesting. Apple's not getting a cut of that under that old model, which is why they ban the things. Exactly, so, but Apple, Essentially, what, what their new rules say that each and every game must be downloadable directly from the App Store and that every game update must be submitted to Apple individually. So this means that Microsoft or Google can't actually build a single overarching like xCloud or Stadia app which contains access to all the games, which is the mm-hmm. essence of what they're trying to provide, right? They're like, here's one service that gives you a whole bunch, like GeForce, right? You said you tried GeForce? Yes, I tried Isn't GeForce. I, I, plan to, I plan to try it again via, uh, what's it called, when, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, when Cyberpunk 2023 comes out, or 2077 comes out. But that's a similar experience, right? Where you have one app that you log into, and then from there you can download, try, play other games, right? You don't need to download anything else. Yep. Right. 
I mean, that, and that's exactly what Microsoft and Apple, uh, sorry, Microsoft and Google want, right? They want one app you download, and then from there, you can stream all the games that you're interested in. But uh, yeah, like I said, Apple's meeting them halfway, and the only way Apple can, which <laughs> only seems to benefit them. So Microsoft, I have to say, Microsoft has come out and already said that this is not a good experience, and that they're, they're not a fan of even this new approach. So... Yeah. Um, I mean, this is not what Microsoft wants. Microsoft just wants you to download, as you said, they want you to download the Stadia app. And then from that, download all the games directly there. Apple doesn't see a part of that. It's just the, the same they do on the web store, the same they do in the desktop app for Mac OS. Yeah. yeah saying, uh, so yeah, so the headlines, uh, Microsoft snubs Apple's olive branch to cloud gaming. It's a bad experience for customers. So we'll see how that one plays out. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> So, so uh, go on. No, I was just going to ask, what do you think? Is this, uh, I mean, we, you know, just to recap, right? We, we already mentioned last time that Apple's fighting so many wars. This is kind of their way of trying to, you know, um, calm the waters, if you will, and trying to focus on that. Because they're not going to let up on the epic thing, right? Mm-hmm. So this obviously doesn't address that. But they're systematically what do you, what do you going one by one and trying to do the minimum possible. In order to in order to get to the next battle. Yep. Yep. Um, but you know, if Microsoft doesn't remain happy, Microsoft doesn't remain happy. So mm-hmm. I don't know how far this will get us. Well, I guess there's a difference between Microsoft not being happy and then Microsoft. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? And then Microsoft deciding that it's going to continue to pursue actions either legally or backing people who are going against Apple. All right. Um, yep. The last one, the last news, last news is the new Xbox has been revealed. Ah, the yes. pricing. We have two consoles coming out on their side. Right. The okay. Xbox Series S and the Series X. Yes. Um, one is going to be $299, the other one $499. And apparently PlayStation's coming out with their own event on Wednesday. And looking forward to this week is also we have Apple has their event on the 15th, the Tuesday. Yes, with a new 5G iPhone with the bezeled edges will come back. And that will be when I upgrade my work phone. By the way, okay, so so this is apparently a lot lot of uh, news week because we went from no news to a lot of news because Mm -hmm. NVIDIA would potentially be buying ARM for $40 billion from SoftBank, Mm -hmm. um, which um, I think- SoftBank needs the money right now. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That money in uh, WeWork just didn't go anywhere, did it? And It didn't work for them. And everything else. Yeah, yeah. We don't work. We don't work. But anyways. Uh, How did we go through an entire episode of We Work? And I never thought to make that joke. We don't work. We don't work. We work. We don't, we don't work. There you go. There you go. That can be the, the tagline when we go for future episodes. But um, on non-tech news, on non-tech news, we have to, I, I at least have to acknowledge that my, currently my city is... Covered in smoke. Ah, yes. Where we didn't my, start the my, fire. My city looked like a ha ha ha. My city looked like a, what's it called? It looked like Blade Runner, the new Blade Runner movie where everything's orange. It looked like yeah. that on Wednesday and Thursday. Yeah, it's been here for us since the 8th, basically. Uh, we've had uh, from, from the fires in Washington State, Oregon, I think, I guess they said California. Mm-hmm. Uh, the smoke has come over and just settled across, like, not just. Vancouver city, just the entire area all the way up to Vancouver Island. Um, 
I mean, yeah, everything's just like gray. I think yesterday I could see the sun through all the smoke. Today I don't see anything. I mean, you add to that the fact that the temperature right before the San Andreas in California, at least, was up to one ten in some places. So is that what they? Because I didn't dig into it too much, but is that what they're saying caused the fire? Uh, I think there were some that they said were man-made. Uh, oh yeah, there was the gender reveal party, Michael. You know, oh uh, yeah, in the LA area. Yeah, millennials need to stop doing that. Um, and then some of it is yes, it's burning hot right now. And the other thing is, I mean, forest fires do naturally happen once a year. They're supposed to happen yeah. more than they even do. But of course, uh, when you're burning a forest with just animals living in it and no humans, then no one's going to stop it. But uh, what was about to say, but yeah, I think they, they've just been getting worse over the past few years. Yeah. And of course the problem is it's not just burning trees anymore. You get, you start burning into residential areas and then all those chemicals get released into the air. Yep. Yeah. There's in several towns. No, I mean, just like I said, just driving around, walking around here, it's just shocking. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can only imagine the amount, <clears throat> the amount of damage that's happening. Yep. Once a year, we have worse air quality than Mumbai, India. Yeah, that, that's the other thing. There's people who live with this on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. With that, with that, Michael, what is our topic for today? We start our no, we still start. We are continuing our international tech tour. Yes, we're continuing this world tour. And our next stop is the great continent of Africa. Yes, this this place surprisingly holds a special place for both of us, Michael, because well, one one of us is from there. Yes. The other one was involved. We were both involved in uh, Zoom groups, or actually, we create we helped create one. Mm-hmm. Yes, Johnny, it's, I very much appreciate you having such a keen interest in my mother continent. <laughs> Right, right. Of course, of course. Just you, Michael. You're just so charming. You just uh-huh. took me away. Yep, yep. All right. So during this episode, uh, we're going to cover a couple different things. This is going to be more, again, of an overview of the landscape, and in this case, traditional industries. So in this case, we're going to be looking at telecommunications, which is really big in, uh, in Africa. I have a very specific uh, topic I want to touch in within that then oil because you know we are known for oil amongst mm-hmm. our natural resources and mining uh, we're also just going to talk about some of the largest companies by market cap which actually the number one is technology so this is going to be more of an overview and then I think um, we're going to touch on some of uh, China's initiatives the is it road and belt the one belt road initiative road. yeah belt and road initiative which touches upon, I think, 40, I think it was 15 African countries that didn't sign up. One of them is Eritrea, by the way, which I yes. found out in yep. my research. Yeah, yeah. All right, without further ado, let's get started. So the largest African companies by market cap, I believe this was as of last year. So numbers could have changed, maybe gone up. But what's really surprising about this is that, well, maybe not surprising, is South Africa actually dominates this uh, list. I was and, about to say, this uh, is surprising. Yeah, it's not, it's not really surprising. Morocco and Kenya uh, do, do make a, a showing. But the number one is process. It's uh, technology. Uh, it's in the technology industry. It's worth over 110 
$110 billion, almost 120. It was actually spun out of Naspers, which is the second most valuable uh, company. It's a media company at 62 billion. And then the rest, uh, uh, we have luxury goods, metals and mining, Anglo-American, Anglo-American platinum, which I'm gonna take. There's guess. literally a mining company called Anglo-American. Yep, and that's, they're that's, combined worth over 40, $45 billion. That's, so, there, so let me just reiterate this. There's a, uh, there are mining companies in Africa with oh. the conditions of mining for miners and the, the troubles they're in in Africa. And the company is literally called Anglo-American. Well, what's the point of hiding it? We all know it's true. <laughs> I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna let that one sit. Yes. Moving on, we have First Rand, which is in finance, worth 12 billion. Telecoms, uh, Vodacom, the Vodacom Group, 12 billion. Maroc Telecom, which is our Moroccan uh, representative, also in telecommunications, uh, worth 11 billion. Standard Bank Group, also in finance, uh, worth 10 billion. And wrapping up, number 10 is Kenya Safaricom, which is also a telecommunications. Uh, company worth nine billion. So, so Prosphis is actually also the largest shareholder of Tencent. Oh. Yeah, its headquarters are in Amsterdam. Interesting. Well, yeah, I guess it makes sense. It was spun out of Naspers, right? Mm -hmm. And then, uh, yeah, it would have made sense for it to, to have its own headquarters and then move somewhere else. And uh, well, yeah, Netherlands is pretty friendly to international companies. Mm -hmm. uh, on the on the um, on the European yeah, side, it's, I yeah. mean the, the the secondary listing that it had is on the Johannesburg Stock Exchange, which is why it's considered uh, the the largest company in Africa. Then, right, right. The other thing is, uh, though, it's in well, itself the largest investment group, and is the largest consumer internet company in all of Europe in itself. Wow. So it's really a behemoth. Mm -hmm. Well, so that's a really interesting thing about this, um, I guess, com compared to the, the areas that we covered so far, like in Europe, it was mostly European companies, right? And then in, in mostly Asia, it was mostly Asian companies operating there. Um, well, yeah, for the most part, for the most part. Um, but here uh, in, in this list and later, you actually will note that some of these companies are, you know, multinational companies that operate in across Africa, Europe, and Asia. Um, and then a bulk of it actually come, a bulk of their customers are actually sometimes in Africa, and in some cases not even in Africa. So that, that was uh, pretty interesting. Um, the other thing I will say is it's, for me, surprising that there's only two metals in mining, um, no oil companies. But I think that may be also because a lot of them are due to the oil companies being um, state state owned enterprises that may not be obviously available on on um, the thing that surprises me the most is that um, there's only two um, natural resource based service um, companies there are the, the largest market cap um, I mean you know having three telecoms two finance one media a technology company and a luxury goods company. Um, in the top 10 is uh, just speaks to the diversity of Africa, which sometimes you don't necessarily think of. Um, so, all right. So moving on, let's go into telecommunications.
So Michael, we have a company, MTN Group, from South Africa. Mm-hmm. It is the largest. Um, it is the largest mobile uh, network operator in Africa. So it was founded in uh, 1994 as MCEL with assistance from the South African government. It is a South African multinational mobile telecommunications company operating in Africa, Europe, and Asia, actually over 20 countries. As of 30th June, 2016, it had 232 million subscribers. It's actually the eighth largest mobile network operator in the world. And of course, largest in Africa. So I want to sidebar here and talk about the world's largest mobile network operators and something I found uh, interesting, maybe almost surprising, but maybe not surprising. So Michael, out of the top 10 world's largest mobile network operators, three are in China. Mm -hmm. With China Mobile being number one with almost 950 million subscribers as of June 2020. Three are in India. One is in Mexico. One is in the UK. One is in Spain. Actually, the last one, the, out of the top 10, the last one is in Spain. And it has, as of July 2020, 245 million subscribers. And South Africa, uh, you know, um, MTN Group from South Africa. So the 10 world's largest mobile network operators have at least 250 million subscribers, all the way up to China Mobile's 950 million subscribers. And yep. one of them is an African-based uh, operator. Mm-hmm. Um, so we get two, two, Indi- two, two Asian countries, one North American country, two European countries, and an African country. I anyway, I thought I thought population centers. Still, yeah, I mean, think and about I would it. say it's yeah, uh, yeah. it's in your language, or it's in one of the languages, more localized towards you, easier to lay down. Uh, what's it called? Easier to lay down infrastructure harder because in different countries and regions to have a monopoly that spans too many logistics to try to go into every single market and region. It kind of makes sense that all of the major continents have at least one big carrier slash telecoms company. Yeah. Yeah. Um, The, well, Canada do not think, yeah, Canada definitely does not make the top uh, 20, but AT and T makes is number fifteen with one hundred seventy one uh, million subscribers as of July. All these numbers are pretty recent, and then Verizon's actually number twenty with one hundred nineteen million subscribers uh, as of July. Again, just in comparison, we know AT and T and uh, Verizon are the largest uh, operators in uh, the, the states. So, yep. of course, <laughs> given it, given its size, it's it's not uh, remiss to mention that it has a few controversies uh, in Iran. One related to Iran, in June 2012, a former executive alleged that NTN Group may have procured American telecommunications technology from Sun Microsystems, HP, Cisco Systems, uh, on behalf of uh, IranCell, the second largest mobile phone operator in Iran. Mm-hmm. Turkey's TurkCell filed a $4.2 billion lawsuit in Washington, D.C. I don't get the logistics of that. In 2012, <laughs> alleging the company used bribery to win a mobile license in Iran that was first awarded to Turkcell. And it was, I think, dropped, a, uh, the lawsuit was dropped a, a year or so later. Yes, a Turkish company filed a lawsuit against a, what uh, was the headquarters of MTN Group? Of a South African company in the United States. Makes sense, yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anything you'd like to add to MTN Group? 
No, no. I mean, it's uh, what was it called? It it's, it checks off all the boxes of of uh, telecoms that we've been seeing. Yeah. All right. So the next one. Um, so I touched on a f obviously there, there's more, and I don't think Safaricom is the second largest. I just think Safaricom is a bit more unique than the others. So Safaricom from Kenya. It was founded in 1997 as a fully owned subsidiary of. Telcom Kenya with Vodafone Group acquiring a 40% stake on May 2000. Um, it's a mobile network operator based out of Kenya. And I think uh, it has over 6,000 employees as of 2019, with 75% being based in Nairobi. Mm -hmm. Not Kenya, but Nairobi. I thought that was pretty interesting um, uh, stat. It's uh, the largest telecommunications provider in Kenya, and it's also one of the most profitable companies that's operating the East and Central Africa region. Um, but it goes beyond just uh, mobile network operator, Michael. It offers mobile telephony, mobile money transfer, consumer electronics, e-commerce, cloud computing, data, music streaming, and fiber optic services. Mm -hmm. And it is most renowned as a home of M-Pesa. A yes. mobile banking SMS-based service. And I remember when uh, I remember when this first uh, first came out. We talked about this years ago. Yes, yes. So a little bit about M-Pesa because it's pretty fascinating. It was one of the first example successful examples of mobile-based um, uh, money transfer, if you will. When you know the states in Europe are still trying to figure out, you know, or even like the tech giants were figuring it out. Right now, we have Apple Pay, Google Pay, and all that. But Mpesa was one of the first. So um, M is for mobile, Pesa is the Swahili for money, so mobile money. Um, it's a mobile phone-based money transfer, financing, and microfinancing service, which was launched in 2007, so 13 years ago, by Vodafone for Safaricom and Vodacom. Uh, it was actually originally designed as a system to allow microfinance loan repayments to be made by the phone, which of course reduces the costs. But during the pilot testing, it was so, so successful that they broadened its use to become a general money transfer scheme. And as of January 2016, almost 22 million Kenyans use it. And it has since then expanded to South Africa, Tanzania, and India to varying degrees of success. Mm -hmm. So. Definitely very fascinating. Like I mentioned, one of the first successful examples of money, uh, mobile-based uh, money transfer. Again, it comes to show you when two things are in common, one a, uh, one a, uh, a skipping of generations, uh, a skipping of the credit generation, a skipping of the landline generation, cell phones and mobile payments come together. Pretty, it, it's... It's not surprising, as we were saying, how America, Europe, all of these places with older, uh, older infrastructure, and in that I count the credit world as older infrastructure, uh, that are slow to come about any of this because they have to fight against all of the established practices that exist. Yeah, this uh, you actually touch touch on this, and then another reason to to go back and explore uh, mobile networks on the African continent and maybe by region would be. Um, I, th I think they said there's like out of a billion, a little over a billion, 1.1 billion uh, people live in Africa. And I think as of a few years ago, 800 million of them have mobile phones. Mm -hmm. So speaking of ge skipping generations, right? Nobody had ha uh, house phones because the infrastructure is just not there, right? 
but everyone was able to leapfrog that and oh, almost everyone and use mobile phone. Right. And that's yes. their, that's their it's, communication. Is right? why build, because by the time you have the, the, both the stability and the ability to create infrastructure, why go build outdated infrastructure? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I think that's definitely a fascinating topic to explore how, how they were able to do that. Some of the factors that played into it. Um, yeah. All right. So moving on to the next industry, oil. Uh, talking about uh, building on your Anglo-American uh, mining company. Check this out. As I was doing research, I came across African Oil Corp, which I thought was like, okay, maybe it's like a continent-wide group <laughs> consortium to bring everything together. Maybe it's like my one-stop shop to read about the overview of what's happening in oil the industry in, in the continent of Africa. Of course it is. No. No? Hell no, it wasn't. No? African Oil Corp is really a Canadian company. When you click it, when you go to its website. Canada, not in Africa? It's... Yes. I mean, if you just take the northern part of Africa, mm -hmm. and kind of look under it, like Canada somewhere buried under there. That's, yeah, that's I just why. figured, you know, they, like, they, it's like Canada. It's one of, the great, uh, one of the great African countries. Yes. yes right, right next to Wakanda. <laughs> Matter of fact, I think they took over Wakanda. There we go. Uh, and then rebranded themselves. Yes, so African Oil Corp is a Canadian oil and gas company with, with a diversified African portfolio. How often do you hear that? The company is listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange and NASDAQ Stockholm under the symbol AOI. All right, moving on to, 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 to the actual oil industry in, in Africa by African. Uh, governments rather, because most of them are actually state-owned enterprises, uh, Algeria. Uh, so the context here is I came across an article that was talking about the, you know, inside Africa's oil and gas industry in 2019. There was another one about top five oil and gas investment hotspots in Africa. So that's what uh, part of the research is. So Algeria, uh, going by country by country basis, Algeria currently supplies large volumes of natural gas to Europe. It's the 16th largest oil reserves in the world and the second largest in Africa. And under Algeria is Sonatrach. It's the Algerian state-owned oil company. It was founded all the way back in 1963. It is the largest company in Africa with, get this, 154 subsidiaries. It's referred to as the first African oil major. It's the 12th largest oil consortium in the world. It had revenues of 76 billion US dollars in 2012. I can, that's just all that Wikipedia had apparently. And then they had 120,000 employees in 2010. And of course, being as large as these companies, you know, you're, you're not remiss to have a couple of corruption scandals. So there's no year to this, but Sonatrack, suspended all of its senior management after two of the company's VPs were imprisoned for corruption. Uh, more recently, May 2020, there was an arrest warrant was issued against a representative of, of Sonatrach in Lebanon uh, regarding an operation against embezzlement of public funds in Lebanon. Um, talking about the business, the past eight years have seen six different CEOs. So clearly a company that's trying to figure out uh, its path forward. Moving on to Angola. Angola is Sub-Saharan Africa's second largest oil producer behind Nigeria. Uh, 
speaking of its growing importance in the oil industry, it was actually admitted to OPEC on uh, December 2006. It has the, you know, the national oil company Sonan Gold. It has the 17th largest oil reserves in the world. And then next, Egypt. Egypt is the largest non-OPEC oil producer and third largest natural gas producer in Africa. Uh, you know, it has its own national oil company in the form of the Egyptian General Petroleum Corp, but international oil companies, Shell, BP, any play a major role in the country's upstream sector. Uh, it does have the largest refining uh, sector in Africa. The other one that's pretty interesting is Ghana has new offshore projects, which will be starting soon over the next five years, which will accelerate production. It's crude exports play an important role in its economy. And while natural gas is predominantly used uh, for domestic uh, uses. A few other quick mentions, Mozambique, apparently, maybe this was recent, uh, it was discovered that it has 100 trillion cubic feet of proven natural gas reserves. So a lot of the folks, uh, the big players are circling around it. Nigeria, the biggest producer continues to be. Senegal, uh, you know, it's, it looks like it's gonna be ripe for relatively low cost liquid nitrogen. Uh, clusters, and then South Africa, which has a highly industrialized energy intensive economy. All right, so why oil? Um, part of it is, is, well, it's a behemoth. Uh, the other was also that typically, I think when, when, at least for me, when I thought of oil, it's been, you always hear just about Nigeria. Uh, you know, it is a big uh, producer. It is a member of, of OPEC, uh, recently joined by Angola. But you, most of the time, with when you think about Africa, you think about Nigeria playing a role. But <clears throat> it was interesting to see how all the other company, all the other countries, have their own um, either competing or complementary uh, uh, role to play in in the oil space. Um, and of course, you know, with oil, there's a lot of technology, right? Uh, I think uh, amongst some of our Nigerian friends in grad school, Michael, there was a few that were in the petroleum engineering program. Yep. Those are your few choices, lawyer, doctor, engineer, lawyer, doctor, petroleum engineer, software engineer. Traditional, yes. what's it called? Traditional choices. Yes, yes. All right, what are your thoughts here? No, I mean, oil is a tricky topic. It's, it's one that generates a lot of money for a lot of people. Uh, not all of it, not nearly enough of it, goes to the people of whose land the oil is drawn from. And there's a lot of challenging, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Challenging human rights complications and issues and controversies. I was just reading up that article of, of blood and oil. Apparently there's uh, accusations that uh, the African oil company or rather Luden Oil, uh, which might have been its name before, or a subsidiary or a parent company, what have you before, may have been complicit in actions leading up to the Sudan civil war, which, yeah, that's the, that's the side of civil unrest. And this was from back in 2010. That's the side of civil unrest in this continent that is, uh, what's it called? That all too much you hear about in the news. And it's, it's one that takes away, uh, in my mind, from the great bit of innovation, technology, and other things that are happening in the continent. So, uh, yeah, it's always a tricky topic to me. Yeah, I think... Um, um... What, again, when I was doing my research, what stood in contrast, like even when you go back to look at um, uh, the Asian, um, our Asia section on traditional companies is that, 
you know, some, some of the Asian companies were over a hundred years old. And then a lot of them, like, you know, since the sixties with the, I think post uh, the Korea war, how the U S invested in South Korea. Um, a lot of those companies have come out, you know, you can see that how we talked, we kind of mentioned the, 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 um, you know, Japan was once the gold standard in tech, Samsung, uh, not Samsung, but uh, Korea has kind of overtaken Japan in that space. Um, so it, it was interesting seeing that comparison of this rich history, if you will, of these larger uh, companies in, you know, traditional tech like mining, not mining, sorry, manufacturing uh, and all that that we covered. But here there, there isn't, Africa doesn't have that, which is why, again, I'm really really excited for the the startup scene that we'll cover in the next episode because there's a lot of stuff that's more you know in the past five ten years that's been happening um, to cover this but in terms of traditional tech you know you have to turn to the oil the mining a lot of those uh, industries that you know whose focus is on extracting the natural resources that are in abundance in africa and with Mm -hmm. that we go to mining ah yes mining yes so the mineral industry of Africa Back is the largest. American. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. So that's yeah, that's irony here. The mine the mineral industry of Africa is the largest mineral industries in the world. Uh, leading mining companies in Africa based on revenue in 2019. Uh, this is in the, uh, billions of uh, US dollars. Anglo American, 29 billion. Um, anyways, it's, it ranges from 30 billion all the way down to 430 million dollars. Uh, most of them, actually, all of them, are in South Africa, save one, uh, Manajem, which is number nine, with 47, 470 million dollars, and that's actually a Moroccan company. But all the other ones are based out of South Africa, which I guess because of historical records. But I can't imagine all there. They all they only have operations in. Uh, South Africa, like South Africa is a big country, but it can't be possibly that big that the entire mineral industry of the leading mining companies, um, they're all um, just extracting from South Africa. I know like in the surrounding area, like Botswana has a lot of activity there. Some of it's like actually partially state owned as well. So So also uh, really quickly on the name of our favorite now company that I'm going to make fun of forever uh anglo-american corporation the reason it's named as such is because the founder ernest oppenheimer uh took a one million pound loan from jp morgan and uh banks in the uk thus he used he represented anglo as in uh, as in uk and american as the name of the company so creative <laughs> Where did my so, money come from? I'll name it after you. Wow, wow, interesting, interesting. Um, but yeah, that, that's the, the. I think the, in the more recent. Um, well, anything you'd like to mention on the mine, mining industry? Uh, again, a an industry that does not return enough wealth to the areas of which this land is being mined from. Uh, Michael, I think you and I were having a, a, a slightly related conversation just before this call. We were talking about arbitrage. Mm. Arbitrage. No, I, I think, uh, I really wonder, um, you know, from a capability perspective, how much of 
the like even like on the in a related I mean, note about natural resources like mm -hmm. chocolate chocolate cacao leaves are we'll see mostly that in south in, america huh we'll see that when we head to, head to south america for, right but some of it's also in africa but mm -hmm. like you know the world knows of belgian and swiss chocolate mm -hmm. but see this is this is the other problem of it this is the my my main issue and this is now, this is not a unique perspective. Mine is, main issue of oil and mining in general uh, is that it is not an industry. It is like, oh, I'll put it this way. Remember when we were doing the Rich Tech Poor Tech series and I said Uber is poor tech. Why? Because as an Uber driver, I'll never be CEO of Uber. I'll never have independence for myself. Yep. Oil and mining, those are ones, of course, traditionally poor we, we classify as poor tech, poor industries, human exploitation, so on and so forth. But more importantly, very rarely, and, and it's good to start seeing some companies that are founded in African countries by African uh, countries. But historically, it's been we exploit human labor in order to, uh, in order to uh, what's it called, in order to extract wealth. Majority of it does not go into the into the countries of which we extracted from and then we do not develop the systems such that people in these countries can then go do this for their own and it's good to see that tide changing so i'm happy to see that because i do know yes even we talked about with petroleum engineering and the ability to uh, raise up the amount of education in nigeria we're seeing that a lot of it is based on petrol money um, I have not seen that from mining money yet, uh, but I'm sure it's I'm sure it's there in some extent. So it's it's good to see that corner be turned, but it's a uh, it's a corner that takes a while. That's taken a while to be turned. Yeah, for sure. I didn't, I didn't touch upon it, but from my research, I was reading um, going back up to oil and Algeria. Um, it actually kicked out. Uh, obviously, originally, um, I think Sunatrack, when it was first created, it was actually mostly a French-owned, and the Algerian government had a minority, like, I think, single digits minority, um, like maybe 10%. But eventually, the, the Algerian government kind of took over and kicked, kicked uh, them out. Um, there was a period where, you know, several other international oil companies had the option of staying or leaving under, I guess, new rules. And I think total... The French uh, company was the, one of the few that was the only one that continued to do business there. So, you know, a big part of it is, is the government able to, to stand up and, and put in uh, protectionist places, uh, policies, right, to help, mm -hmm. uh, you know, its own people, which it is tasked really to do. So that was, that was an example of where, you know, the, the, the old status quo didn't remain, that they changed it, right? It went from a, from a predominantly a French-based company to an Algerian one. So, um, yeah, so, yeah, exactly. So the Algerian state actually held 4.5% of the exploration perimeters, while French interests were as high as actually 67.5%. But, uh, you know, they like uh, 10 years later, after the Arab-Israeli war, they decided to nationalize the refining and distribution activities. Um, so kind of Sonatrek slowly took over um, control over that so yeah that's just uh yeah i think things are slowly changing um part of it is competent governance but which continues to elude some of them but anyways this is a tech podcast mm -hmm. so going back to tech um the more recent thing i think maybe 
I did some research on it and you can obviously speak more to it is been, uh, how else to put it? Even for my research, I, I read this is Africa starting to become the, well, I shouldn't say starting. It's always, always been the, the playground of the superpowers where they, they fight and tussle uh, of, uh, amongst themselves. It's fight for influence. Yeah, sure. Sure. I mean, if you call influence taking over, sure. So China, mm-hmm. China, uh, you know, essentially Africa is starting to become a battleground between the West and the East with all this investment in China. And China has a specific, the one belt, uh, uh, why do I butcher it? The one road initiative, the one belt, belt initiative. Yes, belt and road initiative. So it was launched in 2014 and it's presented in China. So it's launched in 2014 as one belt, one road and presented internationally as a belt and road initiative. It's China's signature vision for reshaping its global engagements. It is strategic and comprehensive in scope and an essential component of the communist party of China's twin objectives of achieving national rejuvenation and restoring China as a great power. Uh, it spans, just real quick overview, spans three continents and touches 60% of the world's population. The 65 or so countries that have so far signed on to the program, including approximately 20 from Africa, I think it's more by now, actually account for 30% of the world's GDP and 75% of its energy reserves. See, you see that on, on, in balance? 30% of the world's GDP, yet 75% of its energy reserves. Mm-hmm. And some 50 Chinese state-owned companies are implementing 1,700 infrastructure projects around the world worth about $900 billion. Yep. I mean, it's it's creating jobs for Chinese companies, certainly. That's a direct benefit from it. Uh, On the social political front, of course, it's, you know, it's China's forming their squad. (laughs) They're forming their team. Yes. It's like this is this is how one build alliances through favors, yes. uh, through favors of building up other people's countries and be like, don't you know, when when you when you bl- when you blow up guys when you're up there, don't you know, don't forget who uh, who gave you your angel funded. Right. I mean, it is very much what it is like. A, it's like, I mean, uh, VCs are just doing what countries do on a micro scale. Um, and I think the most recent one I read is 40 African countries have signed on, mm-hmm. uh, which leaves about 15 of them. But basically, yes, every single African country that you hear now has 5G internet connectivity from Huawei. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So obviously that's another big um, thing. So, Yeah. I mean, as far as foreign investments go, you, you, there's nothing I think that quite uh, beats that right now. I don't think the well, excuse me. I don't think I know EU has different initiatives uh, across the continent, but nothing as comprehensive as what's been presented by China. Well, the Belt and Road Initiative even has a lot of the members of the EU in it. Yeah, well, yes, that's that's true too. That's true too. But I mean, there's nothing, um, you know, if, if you look at it from the, as a East versus West thing, there's nothing from the West that, uh, that um, can compete with it. You know what the other thing I find pretty fascinating well, is? I was going to say, well, let, let's uh, phrase it this way. Is there nothing in the West with the fancy name? What's been in the West has been the economic policies of the West for years and years and years and years. 
Well, yes, yes. But I mean, in terms of something that's reshaping the next um, century, if you will, there really hasn't been. Uh, America tried that in the 80s, South America and the Middle East. Yeah, well, you know. And Asia, for that matter. They're doing so well. They're doing so well. <laughs> Didn't, yeah, it didn't quite work out for America. Granted, they did it. They tried to arm. They tried to do it through military and economic. Okay, so I know it's obviously a China initiative and all that, but when I thought about it, like yesterday's, I did my research. I was like, this actually just makes sense. Continental America is pretty isolated, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, yes, it's, it's it's actually two continents, right? But it's pretty isolated. It's just two continents versus um, what Asia, uh, Africa, Europe, right? All of these coming together. Um, it doesn't. I mean, it doesn't have to be the extended like European Union kind of thing, but some kind of union. This the, just when you think about it from in terms of the populations, in terms of the closeness, like geographic proximity. Uh, this is an initiative that makes a lot of sense. Again. The initiative as a whole, not necessarily that coming from from China. Um, it's just the whole thing makes sense as these three continents kind of working together to build something. I mean, that this based on the traditional trade that's always existed between these continents. Exactly. Going back exactly. millennia, but yeah. Yeah. All right, mm-hmm. Michael. Makes sense. Uh, what was I about to say? It makes sense. It's helpful. Hopefully, more good comes out of it than uh, what has come out of it when countries have done this in the past. Yes. Yes. I mean, at the I very least, like I said, if every single one of these countries in Africa start getting five G internet connectivity, I think it's, I think it's different, uh, because the internet and connectivity, even if it's a censored internet, I, I know, I know a lot of the the idea of the open internet is not exactly. Uh, one that is embraced by every country in the world. But even a censored internet uh, allows the potential of business and social economic, uh, what's it called, of, of social economic uh, progression at the very least. Yes. I think a really big part. So when I was living in Eritrea back in the late 90s, anyways, during the 90s, they used to say that uh, I think 80% of the population live in the rural area and i think they said roughly 20 percent live in uh the 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 city so therefore it followed that one of our biggest industries was actually agriculture and Mm -hmm. it's it's actually one of uh, i imagine africa's uh, bigger industries i think the reason i didn't really want to mention it in terms of breaking it down as a discussion point here was that you know it's just so fragmented you know it's like mostly individual farmers um there isn't like a uh, is it montana no iowa montana montana is a state what's a monsanto there's not like a huge or it doesn't have to be that big but there there isn't anything that i could think of maybe maybe i'm wrong here but uh i think the, the agricultural landscape if you're looking across africa is probably much more fractured and it isn't like there's a central, like, or even Central Africa, East Africa. Well, of independent governments doing things. Exactly, exactly. But I, I can just, you know, this is basically fully anecdote, no research. Agriculture plays a huge role in the economy of, uh, of Africa as a whole. Um, you know, it's an, another natural uh, resource of theirs, but it's, you know, it's very much more fragmented than, you know, 
um, any of these other industries that we covered today. But just wanted to mention that. Yeah, absolutely. So next week, we'll cover the startup scene around the continent of Africa. Uh, but until then, that's another episode of Silicon Trail. Have a wonderful week and stay safe out there.